welcome to the first episode of the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. It's one of our speed sport productions here. Uh, we're really excited to kick off this podcast. Of course, everybody's been doing podcasts lately, and we're a little late to the party, but it was really just because we couldn't get our first guest lined up. He's such a big-time celebrity. He's got so much going on in his world. Getting this guy was really tough, and we couldn't do the first episode without Brad Doty being our first guest. So, Doty, congrats, old friend. You're the first guest. I'm, I really appreciate you clearing off your calendar a little bit to take a half hour to chat with me. Well, I appreciate being the first guest, but don't blame all that on me, Ralph. You know better than that. <laughs> well, I do, but I'm, I'm guessing maybe our listeners and viewers don't, so I'm taking full advantage of that. Now, here's, right. here's the reason why you're the first guest. Do you know why? I have no idea. Well, it's it's very simple in my mind, and I've told you this story before, but I'm sure you don't remember. Of course, being the big shot that you are, you have so many moments to remember of your career. Uh, back in, let's see, it's probably 1985, and I was in college at Chico, and you were big-time World of LA sprint car driver, and for the local uh. college radio station, I went out to the Gold Cup to uh, cover the event, the famous Gold Cup sprint car races that they would have there in September. And I was going to cover it for the local college radio station. And my first professional interview was with Brad Doty. I remember you telling me that now. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I figured my first podcast, the first interview ought to be Brad Doty. Oh, wow. That just blows me away, Ralph, to realize you know, there you were, this young guy, and, and who, who would have ever thought the way our, our worlds would collide, I guess, later on, or we'd get to, you know, be worked together in TV for so many years together after, uh, you just you just never know, do you, what what life's going to throw at you and, and, and who you're going to be working with down the road. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really cool that, uh, you know, professionally, we've had the opportunity to do so much together. And uh, personally, to become the best of friends, at least I think we are, hopefully you do as well. Uh, it means the world to me to have your friendship. So it's been, it's been great. Um, what, what do you remember about that era of World of Outlaws sprint car racing in the 80s like that? To me, that was one of the best eras for the series. You know, I, I'm hoping kids and the young people today will look back 20 years from now and say, man, that was the best year of sprint car racing, you know, 2018, 2019. And you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I, I feel like just talking to a lot of old timers and different people, different eras, they thought their era was the best, but that, you know, that was a magical time. I mean, it was, you know, I was rookie of the year with the all the world of outlaws. Well, actually with the all-stars in 81 and then with the world of outlaws in 1982. And to think that the world of outlaws were only in their fourth season at that point, you know, none of us knew where the sport, you know, that it was going to get as big as it, it is today. And, and it would, you know, get to this point. And, um, it was, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of traveling, you know, we, we pick up trucks and still have some open trailers in the early years. And, and, you know, today they've got the, the full semi rigs with the living quarters in the trailer and, and, uh, air conditioning and all that, you know, so it, we had a little rougher as far as the travel, but man, it was a, a good time. It was an eye opener for a guy like me to get to travel all over the country and do what I love to do. And, um, you know, like I said, just never 
never dreamt where your career would go and my career would end up and and what the world of outlaws would become but it was it definitely was a magical time because you just never knew when you went to the racetrack who was going to show up and and who you're going to have to beat that night what was the best part about racing back then was it just the freedom because outlaws really were outlaws back then weren't they yeah they were it, it um um you know it, basically anybody that knows the history of sprint car racing the, the the outlaws kind of started or the term outlaw meant if you didn't run basically usac or AAA before that but usac had a lot of rules and regulations you could if you belong to usac you couldn't run any other race um so guys would actually you know change their name for and go run a quote outlaw race or go run an open show somewhere and and a lot of the USAC guys or a lot of the sprint car drivers felt there were just too many rules and and they couldn't make a living. Uh, they had to race more. So that's where, you know, the term outlaw, these guys got together and, and uh, Ted Johnson and, and a bunch of guys and ended up calling it the World of Outlaws where they um, banded together and, and there weren't as many rules. Uh, they could, other guys could you you could run the World of Outlaws and still go race other places. And um, you know, years down the road, I mean, it got big enough, and you know, the the brand has to protect itself. And now that I'm a promoter, I see why. As a driver, I didn't quite understand it why you couldn't just go race the night before a World of Outlaws race um, for a couple thousand to win. Where you know. Back then, you know, if the Outlaws paid 5000 to win. They didn't want you to go run somewhere else the night before because it hurt that local promoter. So I see that side of it now that, uh, you know, there are a few more rules with the World of Outlaws today than there were back those, you know, four years into the series. But uh, it's understandable, you know, and it's also part of, uh, you know, the, the appeal of the World of Outlaws. They pay a lot of money and pay a big point fund. And, and so if you want to run with them, you have to abide by some of their rules. What do you think made you such a good sprint car racer? Oh, man. Oh, how I appreciate you saying that. I felt like um, I never felt like a, a natural, put it that way. I felt like I, I really had to work at it. Um, I just loved the look of a sprint car from the time I was a teenager and just thought they were the most awesome machine in the world. And, um, you know, just had hoped that, you know, I could get in one someday. And, and my goal was to literally pay the rent driving a sprint car. I remember seeing Bobby Allen, Dub May, uh, Steve Smith Sr. And some of those guys, Jan Opperman, come into Wayne County Speedway, which was about eight miles from the farm I grew up on. And just seeing those guys and thinking, man, what a life. I mean, they're, they're driving us these wild looking machines and and making a living doing that and that was just my goal is to make a meager living driving a sprint car and and so i was fortunate in so many ways to start winning some races locally and just um you know got a, a better ride and a better ride and my name became more well known and uh, that you know my stock got higher as they say and just getting hooked up with Bowers Cole from Western Pennsylvania was a major break for me to get me out on the road with the World of Outlaws. Looking back, I probably wasn't ready, and it might have hurt my career a little bit, especially early on. But uh, you know, it just it just evolved. You know, it, I I never 
really had any set goals or uh, other than just if I could just pay the rent. Was that 28D, that Bowers coal car, was was that it? Was that the moment that it all changed? Yeah, actually, it was the, the 6X that Kenny Jacobs drove right here locally here in Ohio uh, at, at Lakeville and different places. And and uh, he moved up to a, another ride and it became available. And I had run the number 28 on my home built modified that I started in when I was 15. So after I ran about a half a season with them, finished out the season, uh, we they kept me on, allowed me to change the number to 28. And uh, we ran it that way. And I started running Western Pennsylvania uh, from here in Ohio. And that's where I met. Um, I was leading the points at Lernerville and Tri-City Speedway in Pennsylvania and, and got in a crash. And we really had no money to fix the car. And that's when uh, Sam Bauer stepped up and not only became a sponsor, at the end of the year, he bought all that equipment that we had, which was basically one car and one one engine and one open, old, very old open trailer. And it turned into 28D Bauer's coal car because there was already a, a 28 that ran full time in Western Pennsylvania. And so that's how that all became part of uh, part of my history. Yeah, I have actually in my office here, I don't know if you knew this, Brad, but up above, I don't know if our viewers can see it, but up above my desk here is one of those uh, replica 28D side panels off a of wing that you signed for me um, with your logo. And, you know, when you when you did th- when you do your autographs, as I've got on mine, it's got the smiley face. And there's a story behind that, too, right? And it has to do with your idol, Opperman. Yeah, absolutely. Jan Opperman, uh, you know, we talked about earlier about Outlaw and USAC or anybody that, well, to me, Jan Opperman was was the typical outlaw. He looked the part, had long hair, uh, you know, the cross around his neck and wore moccasins for racing shoes and and just uh, they called him the hippie. And he he did not conform to to uh, anybody's rules and. And I just, just thought he was, I mean, not, not only was he a bad ass sprint car driver, he just, he just looked the part and big sideburns and long hair. And, and he would put a smiley face in the O of Opperman. Uh, sometimes he would use a cross, but most of the times or early on, especially in, in the autographs that I got had the smiley face. And I just, I just, you talked about my career and how it evolved and things. And I just literally thought if I ever get to the point where anyone would ever want my autograph, I'm going to put a smiley face in the D and that's how it started because of Jan Opperman and his, his smiley face in the O. How well did you get to know Jan? I didn't really get to know him. I did get to meet him a few times. I have a picture of he and I standing side by side at Williams Grove. I was 14 or 15, maybe. Um, but I try to keep in mind, Ralph, even today that, um, the way I felt to approach him, I try to keep that in mind with fans today, or especially the young kids, um, you know, or I did as a driver and, and even now, uh, for the, for the old timers that still <laughs> might want an autograph from me, um, or they bring their kids or grandkids. Um, you know, I, I used to. I, I talked to him a couple times, but it still took me a while to get my nerve up to to approach him. 
um, because he was just such uh, a, a huge inspiration and, and a, uh, a guy that I looked up to that, um, uh, I mean, I realized looking back and, and now that I'm older and reading stories, I mean, he, he, was, he was far from perfect, but for a young guy, the way he drove a race car, you know, he was my idol and, and, it, and it took me a lot of nerve to just go up and talk to him or ask for that autograph. And so I try to, to put people at ease when they approach me, you know, no matter where I'm at or, or, and he always did too. I mean, he, it wasn't that he was intimidating or ever rude to me or anything like that. It was just, I was, I didn't want to bother him and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, took a deep breath and, and, and took, you know, took some time to figure out where and when was the best time to approach him. Did you pattern your driving style after him or did you get that from somewhere else? You know, I don't, no, I don't, I'd say no, because I mean, he was, he was so good. I mean, uh, you know, and we all know how good Steve Kinzer was, but man, Jan Opperman and his prime was just, just something to, to watch, but no, Ralph, I don't think I patterned my driving really. Like I said, I think it was a learned, um, uh, you know, profession or, 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 you know, I, and I, I tell people this and I talked about it in my book that in 1987, I finished uh second in the world of outlaws points. And I, as I said earlier, I was a rookie of the year in 82 and I didn't run uh, every season leading up to 87 or every full season leading up to 87. But in 1987, uh, in the Coors Light car, you know, we did finish second to Steve and, uh, uh, in the points and uh, a lot of times on the racetrack, but I, I felt like I just was starting to figure out, uh, how to go fast. I remember Lynn Paxton making a statement one time that it took him five years to win races and it took him another five to figure out why. And I thought, what? Well, looking back, I kind of understand that, you know, the, the, uh, you know, young guys can jump in a race car and be really fast right off the bat, maybe even win some races. And you, you go through spells, I don't care who you are, that you might have some downtime and not win as many races. But a lot of it's figuring out your race car and what you want to do to your race car. And I still think a lot of the best drivers are those that kind of know what the race car needs as far as setup, shocks, that kind of thing. And it helps with the longevity of their career. But, um, you know, I just... Uh, you know, felt like, uh, you know, I knew, I knew what the race car wanted and, and what I wanted it to feel like. And then I got hurt in 1988. And so, you know, that, that my career went to the, luckily to the TV and getting to work with you, but, but I just felt like, um, back to, you know, pattern myself, not really. I just felt like it was something I learned over the years. Well, you're listening to Brad Doty here, our first guest on the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil, track-proven, race-ready. Find a Lucas Oil retailer at lucasoil.com. Stay with us. We're going to be right back with more of Brad Doty. Lucas Complete Engine Treatment is a multifunctional cleaner plus lubricant from the labs at Lucas Oil Products. It's designed for use in both engine oil and fuel systems. It also cleans and lubricates the entire gas or diesel fuel system from the tank to injectors. It contains special Lucas additives that cause the fuel to burn thoroughly and helps increase your miles per gallon. Expect longer engine life, longer oil life, cleaner exhaust, and less fuel consumption. Lucas Oil Complete Engine Treatment. It works. We will be celebrating Speedsport's 85th anniversary this year. 
Incredible how time flies by. To help commemorate the occasion, we've unveiled the Vault Collection of merchandise. A really cool variety of t-shirts, hats, posters, and a lot more. It's all available right now in the store at speedsport.com. Shop for yourself or get a gift or two for your racing buddies. The Vault Collection of Merchandise, available now in the store at speedsport.com. Welcome back to the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil. This is our uh, premiere edition of the show. Of course, Lucas Oil, our great sponsor on the show, track proven, race ready. Find Lucas Oil retailer at lucasoil.com. If you are interested in getting a copy of Speed Sport Magazine, you can do that. We've been in business since 1934. Speed Sport is, of course, America's Motorsports Authority. You can get your subscription to Speed Sport started today at speedsport.com. Our guests in our first episode here of the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oils, our good buddy Brad Doty, a very well-known and highly successful star of the world of outlaws. And that career transitioned into the broadcast booth for, gosh, Brad, I guess you've worked for so many different networks. Uh, let's say there would have been Speed Channel and TNN and Mav TV and CBS Sports is along the way, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Outdoor Channel. Actually the Outdoor Channel, yeah. Got to do some TV down in Australia a couple of times, so I've been very, very fortunate. I remember your broadcasting career starting uh, with me alongside in – the TNN days, the first broadcast would have been the old Slick 50 series down in Manzanita, and you actually were started up in the booth. You would have had Mike join, I guess, Dick Bergen alongside of you, and I was downstairs in the pits. Do you remember all those days? Oh, man, do I ever. You know, the first the first season was Manzanita and, uh, you know, with Jeff Swindell and, and uh, doing the color commentary. And yeah, then Jeff, got that's a, right. The next year was at Canyon Speedway, and Jeff got a ride, fortunately, and that, that left it open, and uh, he's actually the one that called me, wanted to know if I'd be interested. And man, I tell you, that, you know, I had that was after my accident, so I hadn't been on an, an airplane since. I hadn't rented a car, you know, a lot of different unknowns. And and it took me a while. I said, give me you know a few days to think about it. I called the airlines and asked about how do you do this, how do you do that, how do I get on and off, and just different things. Called the rental car companies and asked about hand controls and how big a deal. And I am so glad that I was asked to do it, and I'm really glad that I didn't didn't turn it down uh, because it kept me in the sport and uh, kept me involved in, in, in this you know sprint car racing that I love so much. But oh yeah, man, do I remember because uh, that first broadcast, uh, you know, getting up in the booth. I have since found out, you know, 30 seconds in TV's you know eternity. <laughs> but I remember we were getting ready to go live and. You know, I got my headset on, and and uh, you know, uh, Mike Joy and Bergeron are just laughing and joking, and and I'm thinking, man, we're going live here, you know, like 30 seconds, or, and they're they're laughing and joking, and like I don't know, 15 to go, they put their headsets on, kind of thing, and they were just so laid back, and that helped me a, a ton too, because I'll admit I was I was pretty nervous going into that first one, but they really uh, made me feel right right at home, and. They would ask me questions, specific questions about you know what the cars are doing or why or this or that, and that helped me tremendously on knowing what they wanted and when to get in and when to get out and let them talk. And so, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, you, know, you, t- you went to college for it. Uh, I was thrown into the booth, and that's how I got started. 
Well, I remember having lots of conversations with you uh, prior to you starting that. And all those things you talked about, the airplane, the rental cars, the travel, all that was weighing very, very heavily on your mind. Um, how did you talk yourself into it? I know I tried real hard to talk you into it, but at some point in time, yeah. the individual has to do it themselves. What was yeah. it that made you just say, you know what, I'm going for it? Um, I get, you know, I, I just feel like, uh, uh, for those that don't know, I was, you know, I was paralyzed in 1988 and, and the very next weekend, um, you know, the guys were racing and going on, you know, down the road. And, and so, you know, that this was the TV thing was, you know, three or four years later and I stayed involved, you know, I grew up with Jack Hoddenshield and, he was really in his prime then, so I, you know, kept up with him and Kenny Jacobs, and 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 kept up a lot with the sport, but I wasn't directly involved. And 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 I guess the bottom line was I knew this would, um, you know, get me back into the sport or get me involved directly with the sport. I didn't want to be a mechanic, which some people would ask me about, and uh, I for sure couldn't and didn't want to be a car owner. So this this was perfect, and uh, um, that's that was what made it my, you know my final decision to try to go for it and, and just see what happened. And, and, uh, man, what a wonderful time. And, uh, the, the, the after, uh, after show parties that was a Bobby McGee's, yeah. um, were, were, le- were legendary. <laughs> yes, and, they uh, were. So yeah, we, we had, we had some good times. You, you know, that, um, what was a bigger challenge for you getting yourself ready to go racing or getting yourself ready to go into the broadcast booth, because as you say, you know that was a that was a huge challenge in a whole nother never way for you. Yeah, I would probably probably racing because it was harder because well, and t- unfortunately, TVs there's a, there's a lot of parallels. You're only as good as your last race in racing, <laughs> yeah. and you're only as good as your last broadcast. Um, I've never had a contract with TV or as a driver. So there, so there is that, but in racing, um, you know, you, in my mind, I always felt like I was looking over my shoulder and I had to prove myself every single time I strapped into the race car. And, you know, they talk, there are people that talk about drivers and their huge egos, and there are some drivers with huge egos, but when you drive a race car and you do it long enough, you're going to lose a whole lot more races than you're ever going to win. I don't, I don't even Steve Kinzer or Donnie shots, you know, loses a lot more than they win. So how you can get real arrogant or real up, uh, is beyond me. So I never, and I never, and looking back, I think it probably hurt my career that I didn't have more, um, self-confidence, uh, or feel better about my, myself. Um, but to answer your question, you know, racing was probably tougher, especially getting the early start in TV because, you know, what you don't know, what, what ignorance is bliss, as they say, I didn't, I didn't know, um, enough to be, I mean, it was, don't get me wrong. It was nerve wracking, but I didn't know enough to really to be intimidated or, or too scared about it. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was a challenge. Um, it was not easy, but it, it's right. I would still say racing was, was always still more of a challenge. So Bobby McGee's Brad brought that up. It was a restaurant bar in the Phoenix area that really wasn't located very close to the racetrack. It was maybe a half hour away from where Manzanita sat in the day, uh, which no longer there, unfortunately. 
Uh, but yeah. it was close to just about where everybody was staying. And the Slick 50 series was 10 straight weekends uh, skipping Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? It, it went November yep. to January, and we would get Thanksgiving off and Christmas off. But usually everybody would stay right out there in the Phoenix area in between the races. So when the races finished on, what was it, Sunday night, right? We raced on yeah, Sundays yeah, live so, yeah. on TV. Everybody would go to this Bobby McGee's, and boy, it was on. Um, yeah. what, what was your best memory of the post-race activities at Bobby McGee's? And I've got pictures, by the way, so watch what you say. <laughs> well, that, that can work both ways, Ralph. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably it's the first time I ever heard the term goat slobber. Yeah. You know, I, okay. I, 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 I had no idea what goat slobber was and, and Gold Slogger was the it was where yeah, it came from, right? Golden Slogger. After you drank enough of it, I get slurred your words. It was goat goat slobber, but uh, that's what I remember. And just all the racers, the teams, and and you know the TV people, everybody, you know, getting together afterwards, and and and, uh, and it was a no pressure situation for the. I mean, sure, the drivers they were serious out on the racetrack, but uh, you know, um, boy, everybody looked forward to. Uh, to the, to the good times of, of being out there. And that's another reason when you brought up 10 straight weeks, I mean, realistically, I, you know, I live in Ohio and that was another reason I thought, you know, I get a chance. I was flying back and forth, but we, you know, get it like three days a week, at least I was spending in, in Phoenix all winter long, you know, so uh, that that's one of the bonuses of, of doing that job was getting out of the Ohio winters for, you know, three or four days every week. And that was actually the first winter series on television. I know a lot of people think about they started the NASCAR truck series ran uh, during the winter out there, and they did some other late model stuff and everything. But it was that sprint car series that Pat Patterson put together uh, with Slick 50 that was really the first ever winter series. And it was a big purse at live television for every single one of those nights. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, it was a big a, – big boost for the sport, you know, and we, we had a, ca- a captive audience. I mean, it, you know, you said it was the middle of the winter and I mean, there were a lot of NASCAR owners watching and people from, you know, drag racing I and mean, you name it, you know, all, all types of racing people were, were tuned in and uh, you know, it was, it was a big, big deal for the, for the sport at the time. And, and um, I mean, you do, for those that I'm sure they know, but you know, you do the, the supercross stuff, Ralph, and you, you guys do the, the, the Twitter stuff and you see yeah. pictures of people having the, the parties. I mean, there was no social media back in those days, but Thank we, God. we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we, but we would get, you know, get pictures, uh, or even, uh, footage of people that were having huge parties yes. every week, you know, in a bar or their house, That's right. uh, you know, and we're, we're tuned in to, to the slick 50 series, you know, back then. And I mean, it was, it was huge. I remember you said, you know, people all over the country throwing big parties, watch parties to, to watch the sprint cars live. So I still have a scar from the bar stool races. We did one night at that uh, country Western bar. Uh, that was all part of it. We shot a feature there with everybody, TV people and the racers all competing together. And I, I remember somebody burning a, a bar stool to the ground. You remember that? They were motorized no, bar stools. No, I, who, 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 I do, really don't, but uh, who, I, who was that? I, God, I can't remember who it was. One of the bar stools caught fire, of course. Okay. And yeah. then the, oh. the other thing I remember that I'll never forget, 
another one of the the local uh, watering holes. There's a huge place uh, that everybody used to go to usually on another night while we were all out there. And we went and shot a feature there, and a whole bunch of us went in, and they were having uh, amateur rodeo out back <laughs> of the restaurant bar. And the, the owner of the facility was really excited to take us back out there and show it to us. And we go walking out there, and there's this full-scale rodeo arena, and these guys are doing bull riding. And I said to the owner, I said, so these guys are amateurs? And he's like, yeah. He goes, you just sign up over here and, and sign the waiver and you're good to go. I said, so you're telling me guys are in here drinking, coming out here, signing a waiver, and you put them on bulls. He's like, yep. I go, what does your insurance company think of that? He goes, what insurance? Yeah. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was crazy, right? Just Oh, wow. But, yeah. you know, that, that series also, Brad, made a lot of guys famous. In fact, that really uh, – you talk about how the – the Bowers car, you know, really made you, but, um, mm-hmm. for Danny Lasoski and Guy Forbrook, that winter series really kind of brought them to national attention. Yeah, it really did. And I, I remember Fred Raymer's win, yeah. you know, um, it was a, you know, huge deal for him and, and his Pennsylvania team to, to win on national TV out there, you know? So absolutely. Like, like I said earlier, there, there were so many eyeballs, tuned in every week that it was, it was really an incredible time. And, uh, uh, you know, like you said, a lot, a lot of, uh, people became household names because of that people, you know, sprint car people became household names from from the, not only the drivers, but team owners, the mechanics, uh, uh, you know, uh, just the, the pit footage that we would get, you know, and, and stuff. It was just, man, it was just a, a great, great time for sprint car racing. For you and I, then, the TV part continued on to Knoxville, where you and I became colleagues calling the Nationals. And in that heyday of TNN's coverage, we went all across the country uh, calling World of Outlaw races from Williams Grove to Las Vegas and everywhere in between, of course, was usually the highlights being like the Kings Royal at Eldora and the Nationals in Knoxville. Um, what are some of your fondest memories of that, that period? Oh gosh. Uh, I love to travel. I mean, I, I always did. That's one of the reasons I was you know, a world of outlaws driver. I mean, I, I love seeing the country. I like traveling and, um, you know, that was, you know, part of the, the, the appeal of the TV stuff was, you know, I was usually flying and getting a rental car and, and, and just getting away and getting to see different parts of the country. But, um, oh gosh, there, there's so many memories of, of the places we went, but, you know, for, again, for those that might not know, I'm in a wheelchair. Uh, uh, so some the biggest challenge were some of the booths getting me into, um, you know, man, you talked about Manzanita earlier. Uh, you know, it wasn't the Slick 50 series, but we did some TV from there that, you know, the door was so narrow they had to take off the hinges and we had to take the wheels off my wheelchair and, and, and disassemble the brakes just to get me through the door. And I remember that, and, uh, you know, getting me up in the booth was a, was a big challenge. And that, that, I tell people that uh, uh, coming down, especially down out of the booth, when we'd unfortunately have a rainout or something, made me more nervous than ever strapping into a race car. I can tell you that. Whenever two or three guys had a hold of me, you know, and, and, and some of them were walking backwards down the bleachers, you know, it's wet, slippery. And well, uh, how, yeah, about, that made, how about that night in Knoxville? 
yeah. we were, you remember this one? <laughs> yeah, we were yes, the I do. They were building the elevator and it wasn't completed yet. And we were up in the booth and you could see <clears throat> the green storm clouds building off the horizon of turn three. And it was you and me and your sister, Amy Doty, up there in the booth. We had to mention Amy's name just so that when we see her in Knoxville later, hopefully this year, she'll bring some of her uh, special candies with her because she's a fantastic baker. So there's a little shout out for your sister there, Brad. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Um, and the races were canceled, if you remembered, but we were still on the air. Mm-hmm. And that storm started approaching. Tornadoes. Yeah. And the tornado siren started going off. And your sister is looking a little worried at me. And I said, finally, to the producer, hey, don't forget, we got to get Brad down. And he immediately remembers, like, oh, man. And they rushed two big guys who played at Nebraska football team. Remember those two big boys? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Yep. And they picked you yep. up and ran you down the stairs. And uh, I finished well, up up there and closed the show out. Well, again, four stories, I guess, basically, or four flights. Oh, uh, it's every bit of that, right? Three, yeah. Yeah. They call it three. I know there's three levels when you go in the elevator, but the way the steps work back and forth, back and forth, it's, it's a haul up and down. Yeah. And, and I remember, like you said, that, you know, everybody, everybody had evacuated. All the suites were evacuated. The stands were empty. And I remember again, they said, you know what, we want to keep you guys on the air for a little bit here yeah. and uh, you know, um, close this thing out. And that's like, like you said, you, you reminded them, uh, uh, you know that hey we need to get me down but uh, i was okay to get out of there yeah. so uh it, yeah it got me down and I mean, if you remember we, you know we finally got down we all huddled in the building right behind the grandstands and yeah dire hudson and, hall right yep yep and fortunately uh the tornado didn't hit uh knoxville which i think you made the comment at that time we were up in the booth it was probably the highest thing in knoxville iowa you know is <laughs> yeah. the suites at knoxville yeah and there we were yeah you know, right uh, the prime location right well listen we're going to be right back with more here on the ralph shaheen show presented by lucas oil with a good buddy brad doty stay with us one of the main reasons for poor vehicle performance is a dirty fuel system it can cause decreased fuel economy and actually do harm to your engine over time by adding lucas fuel treatment to your vehicle it cleans and lubricates the entire fuel system pump carburetors fuel injectors and valves as you drive it also improves your vehicle's performance it's a non-solvent product designed to protect both gasoline and diesel engines lucas fuel treatment it works we will be celebrating speedsports 85th anniversary this year incredible how time flies by to help commemorate the occasion we've unveiled the vault collection of merchandise a really cool variety of t-shirts, hats, posters, and a lot more. It's all available right now in the store at speedsport.com. Shop for yourself or get a gift or two for your racing buddies. The Vault Collection of Merchandise, available now in the store at speedsport.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil, track-proven, race-ready. You can find a Lucas Oil retailer at lucasoil.com. Hey, Dodie, I know uh, you still sell a lot of T-shirts, and you can't see probably the one I have on, uh, but we got some new uh, really cool Speed Sport merchandise, and if you're really nice to me in this last segment, 
I might actually send you one. This one's got a couple of uh, Can-Am cars on it, McLaren Can-Am cars. Did you like uh, Can-Am racing back in the day? Yeah, I did. I, I, I really did. But I, I have noticed you guys really do have some really cool new stuff. Uh, some of the vintage looking stuff and everything it's really really cool that whoever's doing your doing your shirts they've some really good ideas well it ain't me buddy i promise you i ain't got that kind yeah, of creativity well, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you can get one of these shirts like i'm wearing or that we're going to send to brad eventually you can get them at our store at speedsport.com so check them out i appreciate the comment and brad if somebody wants a brad doty t-shirt these days you still do the uh, 18 course car right the course like car well actually well actually we're doing we did the what? uh the, the Stanton 75 this year. Oh, that's um, okay. So where do I get yep. one of those? Well, you can at r uh, rnrracewear.com. Uh, it's r-rracewear.com. They have a, you know, a lot of my merchandise and stuff. They do a great job online. And uh, I'll be at, actually at Mansfield uh, um, in different tracks the, You know, this summer. Um, yeah, you'll be in Knoxville, at, I assume? Be, be at the Knoxville Nationals. And, Eldora? And so I, I still make, yep, still make a few places at uh, – that I that I'm there to sell them and and sign them for people. So, uh, but rnrracewear.com okay. is the best place online. And of course, they can always find you at the Brad Doty Classic, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we have a we have a great event shirt. R&R has designed uh, a great, and they're actually a partner, marketing partner of ours for the event this year, and they've uh, designed a great T-shirt for the event. And uh, uh, it, the event is July 16th at Attica Raceway Park, World of Outlaws sanctioned. Now. Unfortunately, we did lose our rain date, which was was Wednesday, the next day, uh, historically. Um, Eldora rained out uh, a few weeks back, and the only date they could that worked for them uh, and USAC was uh, was our rain date. So we've got July 16th. So I just want people to be aware that, you know, if weather is iffy. Don't think, okay, well, I'm just going to wait till Wednesday. Because if they show up at Attica on Wednesday, we won't be there. So we're going to do everything in our power to get it in. If the weather's iffy, we'll run all night if we have to. But, you know, God willing, we have a bright, sunny day. It won't even be an issue. Yeah, that that would be a great event. Uh, unfortunately, I've never been invited to the Brad Doty Classic. Just throwing that out there. You know, you know Speed Sport <laughs> could send a representative, but – up there to uh, cover, the, cover the race. And, I just want and, an invite, uh, though, Brad. I mean, I feel like, you know, so here's the other thing. Okay, to, hey, just yeah. to the whole world. Okay. I, I, I am personally inviting Ralph Shaheen oh, look at that. to the Brad Doty Classic on July 16th. Yeah, but see, so now no, I had to beg. No excuses. But no now excuses. I had to beg. It wasn't from your heart. <laughs> you, know. you, you, you know you're always welcome, Ralph. Okay, I all right. I shouldn't have that. So, still wide open. The Brad Doty book written by our mutually good friend, uh, Dave Argabright, which is still, in my opinion, one of the best racing autobiographies ever done. And that's a credit both to you and to Dave. Uh, and for Dave, this was the first of what became a tremendous series that he's still producing of racing books. Um, Dave is uh, one of our writers here at Speedsport, he's part of our family and has been for years, but he does such a tremendous job putting these books together. And Brad, yours was the first one he did. Did you realize that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew it was the first one. And I didn't know Dave that well. I, uh, there had been some talk or other people had asked me about a, a, a book, but nothing really serious came about it. And and Dave called me out of the blue and we talked and, and, and I was a little reluctant and the 
uh, I mean, I was aware of his writing and that kind of thing. But yeah, this was his first book ever. And I tease him to this day that I taught him how to write books, you know, that, that <laughs> which everybody that sees my writing in Sprint Car Midget magazine and sees Dave's writing, they know that's a joke because I'm not a writer. I'm just, you know, I just put words down. But he has d- since done eight or 10 books and, and uh, man, he does a great job with every one of them. He's, he's such a good storyteller that and I'm so proud of the way the book turned out. And uh, it, it really worked out very well for both of us. Well, of course, Sprint Car Midget is one of our publications here. Thanks for the promo there, Brad. I appreciate that. And Brad is a regular columnist in Sprint Car Midget, and you can read all about what he has to think of the sport every month in there. You know, one of the things um, – I got to give you a little bit of a hard time about this, and I'm sure I Uh-oh. did back in the day when the book appeared. Um, where is it here? Oh, yeah, here it is. N- nice picture of you and I back in the day don't uh, even don't i don't, and, I don't even booth, want to... but you got my name spelled wrong yeah well that was that? that one you can blame on date <laughs> we'll, we'll blame <laughs> okay you didn't proofread your own book no uh, <laughs> you know, we'll blame that one we'll blame that one on Orgabrite. well and one of the things about that and i was looking at that picture i remember we used they had those denim like shirts we used to have to wear and everything was very stylish back in the day. Do you remember the the night at the Nationals we went on with Knoxville Nationals t-shirts? I think we're the only two guys in broadcast history that have done yeah. a national broadcast in actual event racing t-shirts. Yeah, I, actually, I just was going through some pictures recently looking for something, and, and I saw that, or I probably would have forgotten. But but uh, mine was it looked like about three sizes too big, and that's all they had <laughs> and, at the time. But I remember you talking the producer into letting us wear the Knoxville Nationals T-shirt on the broadcast, and I don't know what you know the higher-ups at TNN thought once once they saw it. But you know, it's the old saying: it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Right. So uh, you know, it was too late. It was live TV; it was already done. That's right. Well, we did that because that's you know that's what everybody wears in Knoxville, right? You wear your favorite yes, sprint sir. car shirt. Yep. A new yep, one or absolutely. an old one. Um, you know, I was talking with. Danny Lasoski and and he had spent time racing with you and has known you for years and stuff. And I said, what do you remember about Brad back in the day? And he said, the first time he saw you was at uh, I-70 Speedway in Kansas mm. City, just outside of Kansas City. And you were there racing a midget. And he said, I had no oh, wow. idea who this guy was, but man, was he fast. And he had <laughs> instant respect for you that afternoon. You remember that? Well, I don't remember meeting him, but I do remember uh, uh, it was really technically the first time I'd ever raced uh, a, a, or driven a midget. And we had four, for some reason, it was the Mars Mara, M-A-R-A series. And they had four main events. I don't rem- remember running heats, but I ran, I won three out of the four and ran a close second. In the other one, and this is how greedy I am. I'm, I'm <laughs> dis- still disappointed to this day. We didn't win the fourth. We changed. They changed the gear and went too high. And and every time I'd get under the leader, it would ball really bad. So I won three of the four uh, midget mains that weekend. And I we ran two sprint car mains. And I had to borrow a steering from Doug Wolfgang. I was in the four A car, Ron Pack, and it was pretty low budget in those days. We, and something the steering messed up. I borrowed a steering box from Doug Wolfgang. He was in Weikert's car, and I went out and won the race. And I think he ran second or third, 
And you know Doug Wolf. Well, you know Doug Wolfgang. Yeah. But the, for those that don't, he can be. Uh, uh, when he's up, he's you know. There's no beating him on the racetrack. When he gets down, he gets pretty down. But um, he he looked me right square in the eye and he said, "I'm never loaning you a thing ever again." <laughs> he said, "You go out and beat me with my own equipment." And I wasn't sure if he was serious or not. You know. And yeah. Then he then he, he kind of chuckled. So, uh, but yeah, I, that was a big weekend for me. Well. It might not have been the biggest, though, because Shane Carson also had a story about Oklahoma City in 1983, and you destroyed your car on, was it Saturday night, came back to the day race, and won your first outlaw show. Yeah, we worked out of Shane's shop, and a uh, young young guy at that time, Clark Drake, uh, uh, went on to work in Indy cars and all kinds of different things he was oh my gosh maybe 18 but he welded front torsion tubes back on the car and and uh, uh had you know had uh daryl Socher was a mechanic at the time and and uh, uh a guy named dad andy allison was helping on the crew but we worked out of shane shop actually it was my good buddy jack hoddenshield uh stuffed me in the wall at, at, at <laughs> devil's bowl and i believe it was friday night and we we drove got to oklahoma we worked all day saturday and saturday night we were still bolting pieces on the car uh literally in line sunday at the racetrack trying to finish the car up and uh, went out and won my my first what about all the race had to pass steve kinzer and doug wolfgang to win it and uh yeah that was that's one i'll never forget and that's the one that pretty much brought you to the front and everybody's like okay who's this brad Doty guy now yeah actually i 82 when i was rookie I said earlier, as rookie of the year in 82, I was leading two or three World of Outlaws races with only a couple laps to go and either had a flat tire or or crashed or broke, uh, broke a drive line once, had a flat tire once, uh, probably crashed once. Uh, but there were several races that I should have won in my rookie season and didn't. And, and that's the mentality of a lot of race car drivers is we remember the ones we lost probably more than the ones we, we won, but, uh, I finally did get my first one in, in 83, but, uh, uh, it seemed to take a while, but it was well worth it. So as you reflect back now, uh, on your career, any regrets? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I maybe stayed places too long or put up with things that looking back, uh, you know, again, I was, I was, I told you earlier, uh, my self-confidence was never maybe what it should have been or could have been. And, and so, you know, I always felt like, man, am I, you know, if I quit this ride or, or do something different, am I going to get hired again? So, so probably one of the you know biggest regrets is maybe staying too long or putting up with uh, certain individuals or situations uh, where I probably would have bettered myself to, to just move on down the road and do something different, but uh, not really, I don't know if that's a regret but just things that that enter my mind sometimes that i wish i if i go back to do it do it all over again i would have changed it i need your best jack hewitt story oh um well the one it's 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 out there but uh i i can't tell it um <laughs> or he <laughs> he gets pretty upset with the okay. flagman but uh oh yeah i didn't that's I, all know, over youtube you can find that one yeah, I didn't run with Jack a lot. Now, now um, Jack Hoddenshield, 
uh, actually went to Australia with Hewitt, and they, you know, they've got some good stories. Or Jack Hodenshield's told me some good stories about Hewitt. Of course, Jack was really young, but uh, I guess my my first thing was Jack Hewitt um, had long black curly hair, and I remember going to a, a, a racing sort of a banquet. Uh, a guy named Jerry Clum used to do videos and uh, here in Ohio and and a lot of well, kind of all over the Midwest. And long before it was very popular, he, he was doing sprint car videos and he'd have like a banquet and, and videos and shows. And I remember being in line and you, it was three or four guys and people were in front of me. And he has, like I said, this long shoulder length, shiny black curly hair and a, a beard. I mean, he looked like a hippie. And, you know, I just assumed he, he probably was. And I, back in those days, Ralph, you got this. I know this was before your time, but <laughs> you were either a hippie or a redneck. It yeah. seemed like, you know, okay. And and come to find out, you self-proclaimed biggest redneck in the world. You know, he just liked long long hair and grew his hair long. But uh, that was, I guess, the biggest misconception I had about Hewitt uh, when I finally got to know him. Now he's wild and crazy, but uh, and not afraid to fight. But uh, um, you know, I, I saw uh, him and Terry McCarl go out at Baylands one time. And uh, they got together on the racetrack. I don't know how much time we have left, but McCarl, I do remember Terry McCarl when he was pretty young. Uh, I think Hewitt might have punched him. And that, you know, that, a lot of times that was Hewitt's. That's all he had to fight was one punch and it was over. Yeah. You know, he and so he punched Terry, and we were. I wasn't parked too far from him, and I remember Terry going up to Hewitt later and almost apologizing to Hewitt, saying, "You know, we got to fight." we you we can't i can't let you punch me without fighting my dad my dad would beat yeah, my yeah leonard but if yeah leonard yeah, would not settle leonard for that McCarl, yeah so i mean literally they basically macar went to him and like we've got to fight now and so <laughs> they kind of went out back i didn't go see the fight but every you know, half the pits probably emptied to a, a corner and uh when they came back jack looked like uh you know, he had a lot, he had a lot more marks on his face than, than Terry. I'll, I'll put it that oh. way, you know, and, and, uh, Terry McCarl's, you know, you can know he's a scrapper yeah. and, uh, you know, but, uh, that's, that's, I guess the biggest memory or things story I have about Jack Hewitt was the, the fight at Baylands with Terry McCarl. That's pretty good. Well, you grew up with a pretty wild bunch there. You mentioned Jack Hodenshield, of course, the Jacobs brothers. Um, that's, that's some pretty, pretty strong company. Yeah, we were pretty fortunate. You know, Ed Hodenshield, Jack's older brother, kind of started all of us when he was 16 when he got started. And in those days, I mean, the average age was probably 30 years old. So to have a young kid, you know, a lot of people didn't like that. And, and he he kicked the door wide open for, for us um, uh, to, to, you know, he, he was in a little modified and, and his dad bought him a spring front CAA, CAE sprint car. And uh, we ran carburetors on him at that time. And then I bought the modified from him and that's how i got started and jack his dad his dad bought him a sprint car and kenny jacobs uh started in an old modified that his his dad had driven and but for four guys to come out of uh what i'll call affectionately called podunk little racetrack like lakeville speedway and, and going to some national you know ed hodenshield was very very good uh, in his day as a driver and a mechanic i mean very good and he just chose not to pursue it as for a living, but uh, he might have been better than any of us. But for huh. four guys to uh, – he drove uh, 
Harold Keminall, they called him Flake in those days. Uh, Brian and Chad Keminall's dad uh, owned a 3X car that you had had driven to a lot of success. Fred Linder drove it. But Kenny Jacobs drove it and won some races in, in that car. And so for four of us to come out of this area, which isn't known, you know, known for racing, to go on to, uh, you know, some notoriety is, is pretty unusual, you know, uh, and that's something we're all, all four of us are pretty proud of. Well, as we wrap up the show here, uh, that we've always had a discussion over the years about the proper way to say where it is that you live, whether it's Apple Creek <laughs> or Apple Crick in Ohio. And can you please explain to the viewing and listening audience the difference between an Apple Crick and an Apple Creek? Well, I've always told you, Ralph, I can either be a geek from Apple Creek or a hick from Apple Creek. Take, you know, take, take, take your choice. But a lot, of, a lot of local people say Apple Creek. And I'll admit, when I, when I grew up and when I was younger, you know, it was just Apple Creek. I uh, never knew any different or any better till I got out in the world and, and started realizing that most people call it Creek. They don't call it Creek. So uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's, it's just a about a thousand people it's a small town and uh um you know i would say most of the local people still say apple creek well for this kid from california got to become really dear friends with a guy from ohio i now know that what i used to think was a creek is a crick so buddy thanks for being uh the first guest here on the ralph shaheen show presented by lucas oil i really appreciate it man and i i really appreciate it ralph i feel honored that that you asked me to be the first guest and and uh, it is appropriate that i was your first interview when you were in college so yeah and good luck with the show and uh looking forward to uh to listening and watching many of them down the road i appreciate that tell them once again where they can uh plan on being at attica when is the brad Doty classic it is july 16th tuesday night july 16th at attica raceway park in attica ohio and if they you want a brad Doty attica t-shirt Ra- where, where do we go for that Oh, those are r-racewear.com. So just Google R&R Racewear, and uh, you'll find a link there, and you can get lots of my different cars and uh, some some uh, koozies, that kind of thing, from R&R Racewear. Okay, and you can always read about what Brad thinks about what's going on in racing with Sprint Car Midget every month when he does his column there. And they're still wide open. Is out of print. Um uh, but every now and then you can find them at memorabilia shows, maybe on eBay, something like that. If you get a chance, uh, I strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of Brad's book, first one ever done by Dave Argerbright. Still wide open, arguably one of, if not the best, racing autobiographies you'll find out there. For Brad Doty, I'm Ralph Shaheen. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil. We'll see you.